Elder Dallin H. Oaks, a member of the Council of the Twelve Apostles, has just addressed us, followed by the Tabernacle Choir singing, Truth Eternal. President Benson has asked that I serve as concluding speaker at this session of our conference. Recently, my brothers and sisters, there moved over the wires of Associated Press a catalog of crime as the daily happenings around the world were relayed to the media and then to homes on every continent. The headlines were brief. They featured murder, robbery, rape, molestation, fraud, deceit, corruption. I noted several of them. One, man slays wife and children, then turns gun on self. A second one, child identifies molester. A third, hundreds lose all as multi-million dollar scam is exposed. The sordid list continued. Shades of Sodom, glimpses of Gomorrah. Our beloved President, President Ezra Taft Benson, has frequently stated that we live in a wicked world. And the Apostle Paul, he foretold our time when he said that men would be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, lovers of pleasures, more than lovers of God. Must we repeat the experience of those wicked persons who inhabited the cities of the plain? Can we not learn from the lessons of Noah? Is there no balm in Gilead? There comes to the listener the gentle invitation of the Lord when he said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in unto him. That doorway will lead us from the morass of worldliness onward and upward to the high ground of righteousness. Does that doorway have a name? It surely does, and I have chosen to refer to it as a doorway called love. Love is the catalyst that causes change. Love is the balm that heals the soul. But love doesn't fall like rain nor grow like weeds. Love has its price. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And that Son, our Savior, he gave his mortal life that we might have eternal life. So great was his love for his Father and for us. During his earthly ministry, Jesus was confronted by an inquiring lawyer who said, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus answered him, saying, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. 
On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. As Jesus took his touching and tender farewell of his disciples, he said to them, He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And a new commandment give I unto you, that ye should love one another, even as I have loved you. The principle of love is readily understood by children. Frequently, some of the deeper doctrines pass them by, but every child relates to the little verse you and I learned in primary entitled, Which Loved Best? Perhaps we can all remember it. I love you, mother, said little John. Then forgetting his work, his cap went on, and he was off to the garden swing, leaving mother the wood and the water to bring. I love you, mother, said Rosie Nell. I love you more than words can tell. So she teased and she pouted half the day, till mother rejoiced when she went to play. I love you, mother, said little Fan. Today I'll help you all I can. How glad I am that school doesn't keep. So she rocked the baby till it fell asleep. Then stepping softly, she fetched the broom, swept the floor and tidied the room. Busy and happy all day was she, busy and happy as a child could be. I love you, mother, again they said, three little children going to bed. Now how do you think that mother guessed? Which of them really loved her best? Home should be a haven for love. Honor, consideration, courtesy symbolize love and characterize the righteous family. Fathers in such homes will not receive the stinging rebuke which fathers received by the Lord, as recorded in the book of Jacob when he said, Ye have broken the hearts of your tender wives and have lost the confidence of your children because of your bad examples before them. And the sobbings of their hearts ascend up to God against you. And in 3 Nephi the Lord counseled, There shall be no disputation. For verily, verily, I say unto you, he that hath the spirit of contention is not of me, but is of the devil, who is the father of contention, and who stirreth up the hearts of men to contend in anger one with another. Behold, this is not my doctrine, to stirreth up the hearts of men to contend in anger one with another, but this is my doctrine, that such things be done away. Where love is, my brothers and sisters, there is no disputation. Where love is, there is no contention. Where love is, there God will be also. Each of us has the responsibility to keep the commandments of God. From the lessons learned in the Holy Scripture, we can find application of those lessons in our lives. It was the prophet Joseph who declared, Happiness is the object and the design of our existence, 
and will be the end thereof if we will but pursue the path which leads to it. And that path is virtue, uprightness, faithfulness, holiness, and keeping all of the commandments of God. In the classic musical Camelot, we find an interesting line containing words of warning for you and for me. You'll remember the triangle with King Arthur and Lancelot and Guinevere. Arthur solemnly said, We must not let our passions destroy our dreams. And in his dream of a better world, he said that violence is not strength and compassion is not weakness. In our world, unfortunately needed change, required help, desired relief, oft-times are met with the old and outmoded comment, they ought to do something about this. We fail to define the word they. I think that's why I like the line from a song, let there be peace on earth and let it begin with me. Tears came to my eyes some time ago when I read of a boy and his experience in one of our eastern cities. He saw a man, a vagrant, lying asleep on the sidewalk, and so touched was he that he returned to his home and obtained his own pillow from his bed, brought it back to the sleeping man, and placed it beneath his head. Surely that lad had an appreciation of the word of the Lord, inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, ye have done it unto me. I extol those who with willing care and compassionate concern feed the hungry, clothe the naked, and indeed house the homeless. He who notes the sparrow's fall will not leave unrewarded such gracious acts. For a bell is no bell till you ring it, and a song is no song till you sing it, and love wasn't put in your heart there to stay. Love isn't love till you give it away. The Holy Bible records that Jesus came into a city called Nain. And there, as he approached the gate of the city, he beheld a dead man being carried out, the only son of his mother. And she was a widow. And when Jesus looked upon her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Weep not. And then he approached the bier and touched it. And those who bear it stood still. And then, in the majesty of his messianic ministry, he declared those words, Young man, I say unto thee, Arise. And he that was dead sat up and began to speak. And Jesus delivered him to his mother. The desire to lift, the willingness to help, the graciousness to give are all characteristic of a heart filled with love. 
And the poet said that love is the noblest attribute of the human soul. And then William Shakespeare added, They do not love who do not show their love. The schoolteacher showed her love by the philosophy she had in her classroom. No one fails in my class. It is my duty to help every student succeed. The businessman I met on the streets of Salt Lake City a month ago showed his love. He was retired. He looked happier than I'd ever seen him. I said, Ed, why are you so happy? He said, thus far this year, I have found employment, full-time, permanent, for 15 of my fellow quorum members. I've never been happier. Diminutive in size, little Ed, as we called him, stood mighty tall that day. Another large and successful businessman in Salt Lake, a vendor of wholesale poultry, showed his love by one comment. When one attempted to pay for 25 roasting hens, he put the hens in the box and put them in the trunk of the car and then said, These are for your widows, aren't they? And the answer was yes. Then with a quaver in his voice, he said, There will be no charge. And there are more where these came from. Robert Woodruff, a businessman of another generation, traversed our land, speaking to civic clubs and other organizations to a small outline which contained this message. The five most important words in the language are these. I am proud of you. The four most important words are these. What is your opinion? The three most important words are these. If you please. The two most important words are these. Thank you. To Mr. Woodruff's list, I would add, the single most important word is love. Some time back, I watched on television a recap of a state football championship game here in Utah. Underdog Morgan was playing perennial favorite Millard High. The game was crucial. Coach Jan Smith, confined to a wheelchair, Brother Hunter, was giving instructions to his players before the be game began. He said, this is the most important game of your lives. Lose it and you'll regret it forever. Win it and you'll remember it forever. Make every play as though the entire game depended upon it. His wife, whom he referred to as his chief assistant, was standing outside of the partially open door. She heard her husband say, I love you guys. I don't care so much about the game, but I love you, and I want the victory for you. Underdog Morgan won the game and the state championship. A heart filled with love, true love, is really a reflection of Christ's love. Once each year, we call it the Christmas spirit. You can see it, you can hear it, you can feel it, but never alone. One year, as Christmas approached, I began to think of an experience in my boyhood when I was 10 and a trekker in primary. 
Our primary president asked if she could meet with me alone after the opening exercises. There we sat on the front row of the chapel in the otherwise empty building. I wondered what she wanted. Melissa looked old even then with her gray hair and her rimless glasses. But then she put her arm around my shoulder and burst into tears. I was startled and said, what's wrong? And she gently wiped a tear and she said, I'm failing as the primary president of the ward. I've been unable to achieve reverence on the part of the trail builders in the opening exercises of primary. And though she had had a vision from heaven, she said, Oh, Tommy, would you help me achieve reverence? Why, of course I would. <laughs> Unknown to her, or to me rather, but fully well known to her, she had just solved the reverence problem in primary. <laughs> she had gone right to the source. <laughs> me. The formula? Love. Now, this prior to Christmas Day, it was cold outside, and I thought I would pay a visit to my former primary president, Melissa. Now in her late 90s, she lived in a nursing facility in the northwest portion of Salt Lake City. And as I approached the nursing home, over my car radio, I heard Christmas carols. The one I best remember was, Hark! The herald angels sing, Glory to the newborn king. I thought of wise men carrying gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh to a humble abode. I, too, was paying a visit to a humble abode. I carried no gift but the gift of love and a desire to say thank you. I found Melissa in the lunchroom, staring at an untouched plate of food. I greeted her and began to chat. Unfortunately, I saw nothing but a blank and a benign stare, not a glimpse of recognition, far less a spoken word. Nonetheless, I took fork in hand and began to feed her and talked incessantly about the primary. Two other patients came over and said, why are you talking to her? She doesn't know anybody, not even her own family. Well, I continued feeding and talking. But at length, luncheon ended, my one-sided conversation wound down, and I stood to leave. I held her aged hand in mine and looked into those still beautiful eyes, and I said, God bless you, Melissa, and may you have a Merry Christmas. As our eyes met, without warning, she said, I know you. You're Tommy Monson, my primary boy. Oh, how I love you! And she lifted my hand to her aged lips and bestowed upon it the kiss of love. Her tears bathed our clasped hands, hands that that day were hallowed by heaven and graced by God. The herald angels did sing, my brothers and sisters, and I developed a new appreciation of the word of the Lord. Woman, Behold thy son, and to his disciple, behold thy mother. Outside the sky was blue, azure blue. 
The air was cool, crispy cool, and the snow was white, crystal white. And as I walked to my car, I seemed to hear an echo from far off Bethlehem concerning the words, How silently, how silently, the wondrous gift is given. So God imparts to human hearts the blessings of his heaven. No ear may hear his coming, but in this world of sin, where meek souls will receive him still, the dear Christ enters in. The wondrous gift had been given. The heavenly blessing had been bestowed. The dear Christ had entered in, all through a doorway called love. To this truth, I testify in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. The Tabernacle Choir will sing in closing each life that touches ours for good. The benediction will be offered by Bishop Henry B. Eyring, first counselor in the presiding bishopric, and this conference will then be adjourned until 2 o'clock this afternoon.